and welcome back to 1A, a podcast from First Presbyterian Church of Columbia, South Carolina. 1A is designed to take a brief but in-depth look at counseling issues from a pastoral perspective. Reverend Squires is the pastor of counseling here at First Presbyterian Church, and I'm Josh Fleming, the pastoral intern for Discipleship. In today's episode, we continue our discussion on Chapter 3 of the Westminster Confession of Faith, and we examine the great comfort for God's people found in His eternal decree. If you have any comments or questions about our show, please don't hesitate to contact us. You can email us at 1a at firstpreskolumbia.org. We hope this ministry is a blessing to you and to those around you. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to 1A. I'm your host, Josh Squires, and with me this time, no Mark, no Derek. It's just the Joshes. Just the Joshes. So, uh, <laughs> something feels right about this. I don't, no. I don't know. I, I'm just, I'm just, I agree. <laughs> I mean, I, guys, I would actually say that some of the parts is probably not greater than the whole. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we just need to change it from 1A to 3J and then hey. just go. <laughs> Just go with that. There I think. we go. Yeah, brand oh, new man. podcast. Okay, <laughs> Fleming, why don't you uh, remind us what we've talked about before and where we're headed this time? I'd love to. So we're continuing our discussion, our examination of counseling issues in the Westminster Confession of Faith. Just catching everyone up, this is a 17th century statement of Reformed faith, Reformed doctrine. And as doctrine, we were actually talking about this just a minute ago, it speaks to our minds, our intellects, but we know that we are holistic persons. We're not just a, a brain, a thinking mind. We also have wills and desires and emotions. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking at this document and saying, well, how does it speak not just to our minds, but also to our, our hearts and our affections and that sort of thing? So last week we began a discussion, we're continuing today, of chapter three of the Westminster Confession of Faith. It's titled, Of God's Eternal Decree. Yep. And we had Dr. Thomas join us last week. It was great. He helped provide us with sort of a helpful framework about how to think about this chapter. Yeah. Uh, if, to our listeners, if you missed that one, I please go back, and, yeah, yeah. go back and listen to that one before you listen to this. Yeah. And that'll kind of give you some helpful guardrails to have in your mind as you think about this, this doctrine. But today we're skipping forward to the end of this, this chapter, we're looking at section eight and we'll reference maybe some of the other, other points. Cause it's not that we don't agree with those. We think they're great. And if, yeah. if you are at home and you've got your copy of the confession nearby, maybe stop and read those sections two through seven, but we want to look particularly at section eight today. And I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and read it like we normally do and get things started that way. This is section eight of chapter three of the Westminster confession of faith. It says the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care. That men, attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto, may from the certainty of their effectual vocation be assured of their eternal election. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God, and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Amen. What a great mm. section. I think they're wise, guys, to advise us or urging us to use special prudence and care when applying this doctrine. Let's let's start talking about that. What are some ways this doctrine of the decree applies in the counseling room? 
Yeah, so I really love their summary here in in the last section. They're trying to do what, what we are doing on this. They're really trying to help people understand how do you apply this yeah. grand, wonderful mystery. It's a doctrine, but it's also a mystery. Mm. And mm. earlier, before we got on air, we were just talking about this. And Adair, I think you made a great point about our need to just continue to hold with, with some lightness the the mm-hmm. our ability to understand this yeah. mystery completely yeah i was i was actually reading in another commentary on the shorter catechism by a guy named alexander white he's a leading scottish churchman of the 19th and early 20th centuries and he wrote this commentary on the shorter catechism and on this on the seventh question of what is god's degrees decrees not degrees <laughs> um, <laughs> he has all the uh, degrees <laughs> he actually comments on this he said the use of this doctrine is that it is to be handled with special prudence and care. And he said that Turretin, the, the Reformed scholastic theologian, maintained that it should be taught, but it's a subject more proper for school than the pulpit. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think he's saying that. I don't think he's saying that it's not applicable to God's people. But there's, firstly, a context that you have to be sensitive to where you seek to apply this very delicate theology, where you're essentially saying, there's a lot about God that I don't know. Uh, But I think the functional, and and that's the prudence of it, is that humility of saying, I don't know. I I really don't know why. But the care aspect of it comes in the fact that, you know, there there are some conversations that are really good in-house conversations that are not going to be your first conversation you start off with people who don't understand God or, or are really struggling to make sense of God. But sometimes I think even that humility of the I don't know actually goes a long way and, and helps to serve care for those people. And I think it's, you know, when you think about what Dr. Thomas said last week, uh, you know, there's theologians think of it in terms of God's will of decree and his will of command. God has not left us without what we are to do. He's made it clear in his will of command, but there's lots of secrets that we don't know why God has decreed these things. The most comfortable position we should be okay with is to say, I really don't know why, but I know that he's in control of it. Yeah. Um, Actually, Derek said a couple of times in our last episode, I don't know. Mm. When when talking about how you bring together God's decree and man's free agency how it is that those things are tied in all the ways that they can or should be tied. And he would say, I don't know. And to have a man who's been in ministry for 40 years, Mm. who has all the degrees that you could want and has trained pastors and been a pastor at the highest level speaker to just be able to say with humility, I don't know, I think is a good pattern for us. And exactly. I think what the Westminster is counseling here in use of the word mystery when they say mm-hmm. the doctrine of this high mystery of predestination. We just need to be able to come to it understanding that we won't completely know, and and therefore yeah. it can be difficult for us, which is fine. We'll struggle with it our lifelong, uh, but that we're not going to get to a place where it feels completely and totally at rest. We can get to a place where it more and more feels at rest, mm-hmm. but there will always be a place in which there's mystery here. Squires, you, you made a statement last week, and I've, I've seen it elsewhere, but basically on the lines of we, we will probably never understand yeah. everything. Yeah. And 
when you talk about humbling. Yeah. We, we believe in when the Lord returns and the new heavens and new earth will be with him for eternity. Yeah. Studying, learning more about him. It's going to be incredible. Yeah. And, and I've had that thought before of like, well, we'll be learning about him for eternity. Yeah. And yet the, the finite created mind yeah. can never fully grasp. That's right. The infinite creator. And so, yeah, it's just that, that, that extremely humbling, yeah. but really awe inspiring. Yeah. I think realization that some things were just not made to grasp. That's right. Um, so, Okay, yeah. so the the first thing that I think that as they apply it is we need to be able to hold this mystery. We 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 need to be able to walk into this humbly as we apply this grand, mysterious, yet biblically true doctrine. And then they try to mm. apply it in a couple of other ways. So let's look back here. They say from the certainty of their effectual vocation, that is the elect that they, they know for certain that they have been called unto glory with Christ may be assured of their eternal election. Now, now that actually ties back to section 4, yeah. which is one of the shorter sections in this chapter, and it reads thus. These angels and men thus predestined and foreordained are particularly and unchangeably designed, and their number so certain and definite that it cannot be either increased or diminished. Mm. Full stop. That's an incredible statement by the divines. It's incredibly short, but incredibly accurate, incredibly clear. And there's a way in which that can feel as it approaches our human senses and we're so used to having control and being able to affect the outcome, it can feel almost defeatist to us at times. But actually, on the other side, it's incredibly assuring, and that's what that's what they're pointing to in chapter 8. There's nothing that can be done that can snatch you from the hand of your Savior. Mm. Our, our feelings, our assessments waffle and waver. And you look at how close you feel to the Lord one day, and the next day you may not feel very close to him. Mm. And sometimes that comes from our own just sinfulness, but sometimes it also comes because there's been a dark providence that we're having to go through, Mm. and we can feel as if we're far away from him and wonder, does this mean that he's not my God? Does it mean that somehow where before I thought I was saved, now I'm not? And what this is telling you is, look, once the Holy Spirit inhabits you, and that decision that the Holy Spirit would inhabit you was known before the first molecule of creation Mm -hmm. came into being, he will never leave you. And you can be 100% assured, even though it may feel odd that you don't have choice here, that you're not the one who decided this. But in in our own decisions, we're fickle all the time. We choose one thing, and then a day later we'll choose something else, or, or a year later we'll choose something else. And God is not fickle. When he makes the decision to elect someone, they are elect and will be elect for all of time. And so while you may doubt all other things, you can get to the place where you don't doubt God's love and you don't doubt where you are eternally his. And that is an incredible place of comfort for God's people. Mm. That's so rich. 
It reminds me a lot. I was thinking of this illustration as you were speaking about like crossing the road with my son, maybe we're holding hands across and he could actually let go of my hand maybe, you know, but I'm, I'm aware of the traffic and I'm watching carefully and I'm not letting go of his hand. And of course that maybe break down some, it's a human illustration, but I think there's that God's designs Mm -hmm. are not changeable. He doesn't change his mind. and, And that's such a huge comfort. Yeah. It's just certain in those dark moments. Yes, the certainty of it. Yeah, it it is the foundation. Just like we were talking about last time, the foundation that there's no place as dark as things can get here. There's no place where he isn't sovereign. Mm. Mm. There's no place in our lives where he leaves us, where he decides. "Mm, You know, there's someone better over there. Mm. Right. Mm. By the way, this infuses my doctrine of and my theology of marriage Mm. right i'm so broken and i'm so fickle and i'm so fallen and i choose myself all the time and you know i i I do sin and thought and word and deed every single day to use the westminster language and he never turns his back on me Mm. there's never a more beautiful bride think about that there's never someone where he's like you know I've walked with squires for 20 years and he's still sinning in this way. And I'm just tired of that. Mm. Hey, look, there's this new beautiful believer over here. Or Mm. here's this saint that's gotten so much further in their sanctification. I think I'm just going to go over there. Mm. Right. He sticks with me. He abides with me day by day, moment by moment. And he'll never leave me nor forsake me, which is of course, when, when there's a, a wedding ceremony, when they say their vows to one another, all it is is a riff on the one covenant promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Right. Mm. I will be your God. You will be my people. It's That's right. It's just mm. a riff on that. That's just, in you know, sickness and in health, rich right. or poor, strong or weak, whatever it is. Whatever, you, whatever circumstances you face in life. I will never leave you nor wow. forsake you. Yeah, that's so good. Right. Mm. You know, I think this is also a really good illustration of the idea of like, you have a friend. You, uh, in our human relationships, you might know how this friend thinks in a certain way about a certain issue, but there may be an area of uncertainty that you are not sure how they think about this certain issue uh, or, or another issue. And I, I just think that if you're to try and wed the first part of what the divines are saying with this part of the assurance aspect of what you've been saying, Josh, it's, it's as if they're saying, you know, I, I can't be certain of why God has acted in all the ways that he has. But one thing I do know is that he is acting on behalf of the people whom he has elected. And that that can give me such a sense of certainty that his his decree that I be saved or that I'd be one of his elect, that is where I can stake my claim. Yeah. That is where I can stake my certainty in a way that, I don't have to be uncertain about what comes because God is not like man. He doesn't change his mind. Mm -hmm. He is full and certain. And we might be prone to read our experience of uncertainty, like you said, into the character of God, but that's putting a creaturely lens on him. And, and this is actually God saying, no, I'm better than you think. And that's what these divines are saying as well. That's right. And we get all of that, of course, through God's word. Right. Like, yeah, it's where would we go? How would we even know this to be true? Well, it wouldn't be our own hearts. Mm, yeah. We don't, we don't trust them at that level. Mm. It's God's word and him telling us, Hey, 
I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be your God and you will be my people. And seeing that lived out, even unto the point that he himself is willing to come and to die, that that truth might be reality. Yeah, to keep that promise. That's right. Wow. Okay, so second section here I wanted to highlight for us in 3.8. So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, and admiration of God. I want to say like that is also referring to an earlier section. If we look at 5, section 5, mm-hmm. there is this wonderful phrase, the secret counsel and good pleasure of his will, this mm-hmm. is talking about God, hath chosen in Christ unto everlasting glory out of his mere free grace and love. Mm-hmm. Those two things, out of his mere free grace and love. And what is grace? Grace Voss would say it's demerited favor, mm. not just unmerited favor, which is what we often say, but demerited favor. I don't deserve it. Not only do I not deserve it, I deserve the opposite. I deserve right. death and judgment. Mm. That's really important because we didn't do anything to merit this sort of salvation. And it sets mm. the bar for us about how we treat others. Mm. Christ died for us while we were enemies to him Mm. not friends he didn't wait for us to prove ourselves and then say yeah okay i think you've gone far enough i'll trust you no we were the ones who said crucify 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 we would have been in that crowd saying that about christ Mm. that's me that's my voice yelling that i wish golly how i wish when i read that story that i would have been the one lone voice saying no not him anyone but him crucify barabbas but in reality i know i would have been out there saying yeah crucify him give me barabbas Mm -hmm. and therefore when i encounter other people in the world who act like enemies unto me and act like enemies unto the church i don't ball up i don't get angry i get gracious Mm -hmm. because that's what i got i got grace Mm -hmm. and love Mm -hmm. right and this high mystery of this doctrine sets for me an incredible example of what it means to love and have grace with people, even when they don't deserve it. Mm. Yeah. I think that's further highlighted by the fact that it doesn't always look like we're consistent (laughs) with the grace that's been shown to us. And so as you think about the sort of dimensions of what you've just been saying, Josh, it's, it's as if God takes people, who are sinners and rebellious and makes them objects of his mercy, that they might become instruments of his patience in the lives of other people. And it changes the way that you view others. It's that First Timothy 1, 12-17 approach. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost, mm-hmm. and that he might make me the object of his mercy. He might show just how difficult I was and how God saved me as the signpost of how God loves to save difficult people. Mm. Amen. Amen. Okay, one last point here. The word obedience is used twice here in this last section. Everyone's favorite topic. Everyone's favorite topic. Let's talk about <laughs> obedience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uncomfortable laughter. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. Predestination is to be handled with special prudence and care that men attending the will of God revealed in his word and yielding obedience thereunto. So that's the first use of obedience. And then at the end, 
So shall this doctrine afford matter of praise, reverence, admiration of God, and of humility, diligence, and abundant consolation to all that sincerely obey the gospel. Okay, so here they are in the midst of talking about predestination where your ability to save yourself is zero. Mm. Your actions don't matter in your ability to be justified and chosen. So why are they highlighting obedience in this last section? That's right. You're saved by grace alone. Yeah. So where's my, now why are you telling me, to, why are you talking what? about obedience? Why are you bringing that in the conversation? That's yeah. right. That's right. <laughs> I thought you said this. <laughs> yeah. And I think that what they're trying to do here is they're trying to put up a bit of a barrier and a wall from people deciding they don't have to obey. Mm. Because their obedience doesn't make them right with God. And since my obedience doesn't make me right with God, and I can't do anything to make God choose to love me, therefore my obedience doesn't really matter in the end. Mm. Mm. And and I think they're trying to, to buff it against that and say, no, no, no. If you love the Lord, you obey him, right? The, right. One of the visible signs of the Holy Spirit working in you is your choosing over the long period. We're not talking, you know, don't look day to day because day to day it might be the stock market up one day and down the next, but over a longer trajectory, three months, six months, one year, do I see an increase in my love for obedience? Because obedience, it's not just a whip being driven. Like I'm a slave and I'm getting commands. This is a character being presented before me. This is my hero that I get to be like. Mm. That's what obedience is. I get to be like Jesus. So many opportunities to be like Jesus. And if I love Jesus, guess what? I want to be like him. Yeah. Mm. Right? And so I think that they're trying to put up maybe just just a little bit of boundary here so that, that people don't get swamped down into the it doesn't matter, therefore I don't have to obey. Mm. Well, Josh, I also am reminded of the fact that when you have mentored me in your understanding of marriage and trust, mm-hmm. what is it that you say creates mistrust in a relationship? I, it's it's the idea of a sacrificial act that's either ignored, yeah, yeah, or or not paid attention to. That's right. So it, trust is is this is John Gottman's definition: knowing you are for me, even though it costs you. So oftentimes mistrust comes when you act in ways that aren't for me or when I act in ways that are for you and cost me, but you haven't noticed. Mm. Yeah. Right. Mm. Or or even worse, I've been rejected in my trying Mm. to act for you in a way that's, that's been costly. Yeah. And I think what that does is, is is that gives you a, a, a theater for which we can think about the application of what they're saying is that a sacrificial love, requires a sacrificial obedience it's it's going to drive that sacrificial obedience because you can't anytime you see the cost of someone moving towards you after you have utterly failed them let alone when they have chosen to move towards you even when you are at enmity with them as in the case of the lord and the gospel right it softens your heart it Mm -hmm. moves you towards that person it's like i want to be like this person Mm -hmm. because he has laid down his arms that he might draw me near. Why would I ever choose anything that would put distance between us? Yeah. Mm. It reminds me of, I think it's 
a hymn by Cooper. It, it says, to see the law by Christ fulfilled, to hear his pardoning voice, changes a slave into a child, and duty to choice. Mm-hmm. And it's just this idea that like what would have been once a burden yeah. when you recognize, again, that grace we talk about, that yeah. favor that you've received, that unmerited, demerited favor, mm-hmm. what has been done to bring you into the family, changing an enemy into a child, a friend, a, a member of the family, suddenly your desires are changed. What was been a burden now becomes what you're glad and happy to do, to be like him, to be like your Lord, to honor him, to glorify him. Yeah. I, I think this also changes the way that, you, like you've said, Josh, it, it so changes the way you think about obedience. Like we hear these words, this word obedience, and we have this negative connotation of it. Mm. And we think, oh, I have to measure up enough to the standard that I've not been able to keep. Mm. We tend to become introspective when we think about this obedience. We tend to sort of gauge ourselves by the standards that we should keep. But if you think about our conversation that we've been having, the reason for our assurance is never to rest in these subjective in, in the subjective experience, it's grounded in the person of God. Uh, I, I remember one of my favorite quotes from the Institutes is Calvin says something to the effect that Christ is the mirror of our election through which we gauge whether we belong to God. <laughs> I think I just butchered that, but it's the sense of learning to rest your assurance in the person of God and to let the fruit of that assurance bear out in an obedience that delights in that person too. Mm, right. I mean, this is, Which, this is James's point, right? That mm-hmm. you show me the faith without works sort of faith. And that's, he's, he's really setting that off in quotations, faith without <laughs> works, rather than saying there is something that is genuinely faith that doesn't have works. Right. Mm-hmm. But you bring to me that sort of faith, the faith without works faith, and I'll show you a dead faith. Mm. Right, because mm. our hearts cannot help but be inflamed by love for Christ to be like Him. Mm. Just can't help it, right? And the mm. more and more we love Him, the more and more we want to be like Him. And to add to it, the the language of section six: the more the more Christ is at work in us, the more we can't help be like Him. Because section six tells us that God has appointed the elect unto glory by the most eternal the eternal and most free purpose of his will and from that flows all the means mm. that we become like God. So not only has God appointed you're going to be elect, but he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ, as his word says, so that there's no way that we can think about our election apart from the person of Christ, because Christ is the one who contains all the benefits of it. That's good. Okay, gentlemen, so we should probably go ahead and start wrapping it up here. So next time we get together, we'll be on chapter four. four. I mean, guys, we are really blazing now. Yeah, we are really getting (laughs) some steam. Only two episodes. Folks, that's right. We're we're on the move now. Yeah. So next time we'll uh, start looking at of creation in chapter four. So join us then. Josh and Josh, thank you so much for joining me again and look forward to getting back together in just a couple of weeks. All right. Thanks again for having us. All right. Thanks, guys.